Gracious and loving God, thank you for bringing us safely to a new week. And as we study the book of Jeremiah today, chapters 19 and 20, we pray we would learn more about who we are, and we pray that you would continue to shape us into your holy people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thus said the Lord, go and buy a potter's earthenware jug. Take with you some of the elders of the people and some of the senior priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. I am going to bring such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and gone on building the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it enter my mind. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when this place shall no longer be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place, I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will make them fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth. And I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its disasters. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters and all shall eat the flesh of their neighbors in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. Then you shall break the jug in the sight of those who go with you and shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, So will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. Now the priest Pasher, son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher struck the prophet Jeremiah and put him in the stocks that when the up, were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next morning, when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has named you not Pasher, but terror all around. For thus says the Lord, I am making you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall kill them with the sword. I will give all the wealth of this city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who live in your house shall go into captivity and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall die and there you shall be buried. 
you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. O Lord, you have enticed me, and I was enticed. You have overpowered me, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I must cry out. I must shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then within me there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is all around. Denounce him, let us denounce him. All my close friends are watching for me to stumble. Perhaps he can be enticed and we can prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and they will not prevail. They will be greatly shamed for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, you test the righteous. You see the heart and the mind. Let me see your retribution upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, a child is born to you, a son, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come forth from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Thank you. Uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew says, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And can't help but think that Jesus had Jeremiah sitting in the stocks, feeling abandoned by his friends and mine whenever he preached that on the mountain and the Sermon on the Mount. So to go to the top of our page, Jeremiah 19 and 20, we start out with more potter's imagery. We have already seen in chapter 18 this image of God being the potter, us being the clay, and at first we're this spoiled vessel, and so the Lord needs to remake it into something else. Um, now we're we're sticking with the potter's imagery, but this time we just have that of the earthen ware jug. And um, the use of clay in this symbol is significant because it really is meant to represent the fragility of the people and how easily shattered we are whenever we turn away from God. We are not, metaphorically speaking, a sturdy vessel. You know, we're not a vessel of iron or bronze that can be thrown to the ground without breaking. That's not the vessel God created us to be. We're meant to be a vessel whose strength is tied to being filled with the Lord's spirit. We're meant to be a vessel filled with the glory of God. And whenever the glory of God leaves the vessel that is our life and our community, 
we are easily shattered like an earthenware jug. And Jeremiah is pointing out to the people, they're like that empty, breakable vessel because the Lord's presence has left them. And so God tells Jeremiah um, to go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom and to take the elders of the people and some senior priests. Um, why does Jeremiah have to take the elders and the senior priests? Because he is going to make a huge spectacle and this is going to be very unpopular on purpose. He is not taking his supporters. He is taking his powerful haters to the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And uh, the Valley of Hinnom was just outside the walls of ancient Jerusalem. Uh, it was connected with abominations like child sacrifices to pagan gods like Baal and Molech. Uh, it was also associated with idolatry and many ungodly practices. It was known for its perpetually burning trash heap, and even the bodies of executed criminals uh, apparently were disposed there. But I, I share that because the term Gehenna, which is derived from the Aramaic word Gehinnom, uh, which means the Valley of Hinnom, uh, Jesus then took this valley and used it as a metaphor for a place of eternal punishment or judgment. So whenever you read about the fires of Gehenna that Jesus speaks of as this metaphor for hell, uh, it has its roots in a very real valley that was outside of Jerusalem. And that is where Jeremiah is asked to go. Metaphorically speaking, he has to go to the very center of hell uh, in order to proclaim God's word. Uh, to me, this brings up some imagery of the Apostles' Creed where Jesus descended into hell. Uh, but for a moment, Jeremiah will descend into this hell uh, to speak God's word. But it says something very interesting about the nature of hell. Hell is that place not where... God so much abandons us, although there is some of that imagery, right? In Romans 1, God abandons us to our devices, but it's really that place where humans abandon God, right? This perpetually burning trash heap uh, is symbolic of any space where a, a God other than Yahweh is worshiped. And so that is where uh, Jeremiah is going to go. And when he goes, he tells these powerful people that they have filled um, God's holy city with the blood of the innocent, and they are building high places to Baal to burn their children in the fire. Now, uh, I'm pretty sure this is the first we've heard of burning children in the fire in the book of Jeremiah. Um, this is as horrific as it sounds. Um, so child sacrifice is mentioned in the Bible as a practice, for instance, of the Canaanites. It's a clear abomination. It is the opposite of the Hebrew understanding that children are a blessing from the Lord, right? So what is the, the greatest curse you can experience in the Old Testament? It's barrenness because children are a blessing to the Lord. And so the moment you know, and, and what does God tell Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply, have lots of children. And so the moment that the Hebrews begin to kill their children, uh, aside from it just being a grotesque practice, they have completely turned away 
from their identity and who they are. And so this gives you a window into some of the horrific practices at least some of the people had turned to. It's not that they've just like set up a golden calf statue that they worship secretly. They're actually doing some pretty bad stuff. And uh, Jeremiah and God are very sick about it. And uh, even though a child sacrifice um, uh, has not been an issue <laughs> uh, for the Israelites since this time, or, or for Christians, we don't sacrifice our children in this way. It actually does raise some interesting questions, not to get on too much of a tangent. Uh, in what ways do we continue to sacrifice our children today uh, as we worship other gods? Not that we worship Baal, but if we worship power, if we worship success, if we worship prestige, if we worship having our children be conformed to a particular image, if we worship comfort, you know, never has a society been so concerned with giving children everything we have that's good, uh, things that we did not have when we were children. And yet, what do we see in our society? We see uh, mental health amongst teens more in crisis than ever. We see bullying. We see overscheduled lives. We see uh, people just always deeply confused about identity and where they fit. We see um, all kinds of just confusion uh, in our society. And um, the question is, are children faring well in our society? Uh, and, and if they're not faring well, um, is there a sense in which our values have become twisted? Are we sacrificing our children um, in, in any symbolic way? I don't really have a, a clear answer to that question, but it is an interesting question given how much we say we want our children to thrive and and uh, at least a lot of the data on how teenagers are faring at the moment tells me a lot of kids are not thriving. Um, okay, that was a little bit of a tangent. I'm going to move on. Um, so the people are sacrificing their children and God basically says, I'm going to hand you over to your ways, and it's going to get so bad that you're all going to eat the flesh of your neighbors in the siege. This is like um, reverse Eucharistic imagery. Um, you know, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. But here we have the opposite. We have um, hungry people turning on one another. And there's like this, this imagery of like resources are so scarce that people are becoming cannibalistic. Now, whether or not this actually happened uh, or what historical memory there was of things getting this bad, I don't know. But symbolically, theologically, um, you have things moving in the wrong direction, right? This is the opposite of manna falling from heaven. This is the opposite of eating the flesh of the son of man, which is Eucharistic imagery. This is us eating each other, devouring each other. And it makes me think of what Paul says, you know, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Um, this, this image of devouring each other, metaphorically speaking, um, is an image of what happens whenever we are not um, uh, following God's covenant, 
And it's not a bad, you know, to go back to this, this image of Gehenna or the son of Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom, it's not really a bad image of, you know, what hell is. Um, human beings devouring each other, cut off from God, turning on each other. You know, look for where you see that in our world, whether it's a war between nations or a war between families, and that's what hell on earth looks like, human beings devouring each other. And so God says, I'm going to break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. Now, this is interesting that God would say so that it can never be mended because there's been so much hope uh, in Jeremiah. God has said, I will not make a full end. I will restore the fortunes of my people. And so I take this to mean you know, the breaking is going to be so significant that we cannot mend it ourselves. But God is very clear that God will actually mend that which God breaks. In fact, uh, this word mend in the book of Nehemiah and Second Chronicles, it's the same Hebrew word used with respect to repairing or mending the temple. And of course, you know, once we fast forward to Paul's letters, Paul says to the church, you are that temple. Uh, and so the body of Christ is, in a sense, a body of broken bones, but those bones will be mended. They will be repaired just like the temple. And so when God says, so that it can't be mended, he means you can't mend it. But the promise in Jeremiah is that in the fullness of time, God will mend it. And so that raises a question, you know, what is it in your life that can never be mended by human means? What is it that you can't fix? What is the impossible thing that only God can do? Um, you know, Jeremiah 19 is not meant to be all bad news. It's meant to really, I mean, it's really meant to help us hit rock bottom. You know, any addict uh, will tell you that, you know, recovery doesn't start until you actually hit rock bottom. And Jeremiah 19 is about hitting rock bottom. You know, what is it that only God can mend in this world and in our lives? Because apart from God, we're like that earthenware vessel, right? We're going to fall to the ground and break. So Jeremiah says all this, and uh, surprise, surprise, it doesn't go well. And so the priest, Pasher, and, you know, Pasher uh, was the chief officer in the house of the Lord, what does it mean to be the chief officer? You're like the CEO. You oversee all the offerings, the priests, the prophets, the facilities. You had lots of power. Uh, there's no separation between church and state. So you're probably also an advisor to the king. And Pasher says, Jeremiah, I got no time for you. Uh, this is a bunch of nonsense and you're upsetting the peace. And so he put uh, Jeremiah in the stocks. And the stocks were a form of punishment where your hands, your feet, your neck would all be placed in wooden restraints, meaning you couldn't move and you were subject not only to the elements, um, you know, to birds pecking away at you and, and rain that fell and cold and heat, but also to public humiliation. And uh, Jeremiah was in the stocks overnight um, because Pasher released him the next morning Jeremiah did not have friendly things to say in return and uh, reminded Pasher that all the wealth of the city will be given into the hand of Babylon, uh, who shall plunder them. And, um, 
this idea of Israel being plundered is not insignificant, because remember, this is what they did to Egypt. Whenever they left Egypt, God allowed them to plunder the Egyptians, but now they're going to be plundered and carried off into Babylon. And so we've already seen the reverse Eucharist, right, where the people are devouring each other. This is like a, a reverse exodus, right? Instead of plundering, they are plundered. Instead of being set free into the promised land, they're being carried off into captivity. Um, and so Jeremiah has to say all this into pasture after spending the night in the stocks. And in chapter 20, verse 7, he has a little bit of a breakdown. And, um, you know, to say that he has a breakdown, this is my word. You can decide for yourself what's happening. But basically he says, Lord, you have enticed me. You have overpowered me. Two different Hebrew words. The word enticed is the same word used in Genesis 3. Um, whenever the snake enticed the woman, right? So the serpent tricked Eve. Jeremiah is suggesting that what the snake did to Eve, God has done to him. And then that word overpowered could also mean deceived. It's the same word as what Jacob accuses Laban of doing whenever he gives Jacob Leah instead of Rachel. Um, and so essentially what Jeremiah is telling God is that uh, you're behaving like Laban and you're behaving like the serpent. That's quite the accusation, right, to make against God. Um, you know, his complaint is that there's the word of God shut up like a fire in his bones, that it hurts to not speak, but that if he does speak, everyone tries to attack him, uh, that he's basically stuck. Uh, but then uh, Jeremiah rebounds and says, the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. Um, and he says a few more prayers. And then this is really, you know, verses 13 and 14, talk about a roller coaster. He says, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. But then he says, cursed be the day on which I was born. And there's just something very human about this, right? In one breath to say, sing to the Lord, sing praise to the Lord. And then in the next breath to say, I wish I was dead. And um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that other than Jeremiah was a human being. He was going through a whole lot. But my guess is that you've had moments in your life when you have said, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord with all your might. And then the next day had some version of, I don't even know what the point of life is. And that's where Jeremiah finds himself uh, as he seeks to be faithful to God. And so some interesting uh, questions, I think this uh, set of chapters raises, um, what does it mean for us to be vessels of clay? Right. What does it mean for God to break us the way that God broke uh, the vessel of clay in Jeremiah 19? Now, it sounds like bad news to say God's going to break us. But remember that Eucharistic imagery and the reverse Eucharistic imagery. So every Sunday, um, you know, the priest takes the body of Christ and the priest does four things. The bread is taken, blessed, broken, and given out. But the bread is broken. 
God does break his people. And that breaking is not always punishment. Sometimes the breaking is grace. And so what does it mean to allow God to break you, but then to mend you, right? To break you so that you can't mend yourself, but then to allow God to mend you. And then I just think it it uh, raises some questions. You know, Jeremiah, I don't know if he doubts his calling or if he's upset about his calling, but, you know, he definitely voices some confusion. When have you been confused? You know, God called you to something and didn't work out the way you wanted it to go. I mean, John the Baptist had a moment like this, right? He starts out preaching, saying, woe to you, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. But then he gets arrested and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we be waiting for someone else? And so having doubts, having confusion, being torn, this is a normal experience and it's worth reflecting when have you been there just to normalize that experience. 